Blog Talk Radio. Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast discussing news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and today joining me in the studio will be cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Uh, We've got some stories that we want to talk about with him. This is what I have planned for you today. We will discuss today dumb news and good news. Dumb news, to steal from Fox News show Red Eye, is there any other kind? about New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who called telecommuting dumb this week. And then we have another dumb news story about John Kerry, our recently appointed Secretary of State. And then I have several good news stories about sequestration, technology, marriage, and France. If you want to talk about these stories in particular, I'd be interested if you have experienced telecommuting or if you have experienced supervising people who have telecommuted, give me a call, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Or you can chime in in the chat room. I see a number of people hanging out in there. Everybody, I don't know, you can tell me or not, I have the second cold as in a cold virus, in about a month's time. And if I felt today like the way I felt yesterday, I would not be here right now. I would have had to cancel again. I do think my voice sounds a little bit different than normal, but it's uh, in terms of voice, it's not nearly as bad as the last cold that I had. Last time I actually had laryngitis. This time it was mostly a nasal, you know. So we like to mix up our cold viruses to just have kind of a variety. I also sound like I have a cold. You sound like you have a cold all the time. I don't. I don't think so. I don't okay. know. I, again, you know, I had this high school crush. I I was just so in love with this guy. What? And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm revealing my personal life, right? Uh, and he used to tell me that when I had a cold, I sounded sexy. And I thought, okay, well, gee, I wonder how I could. No, I did not try to scheme to have a cold all the time. But it was it was at least kind of a consolation prize to think that your crush thought you sounded sexy when you had a cold. So one thing I wanted to tell you, this week, Sunny Loman, Sunny is of the House of Sunny fame. She's got a, a really good site on Facebook where she shares all kinds of cool things, plus she's got awesome videos. And now she's got a new cool podcast. I love the title of her new podcast. It's called You Know I'm Right. <laughs> I like it. I love the uh, the equivocation on right. And I think she's only about four episodes into her podcast, so you can go check it out. She's got a page for that on Facebook as well. Again, it's Sunny Loman. Her last name is spelled L-O-H-M-A-N-N. And the show, the podcast is called You Know I'm Right. And she had an Oscar party version of her show this week, and she invited me to be a guest. I thought that was kind of fun to do something a little bit different in the in the podcast realm. Zach says that Bosch got jealous about going on You Know I'm Right. I, I don't know. About the thing I said before. But... Uh, yeah, I see. 
Okay, well, let's dive into our stories. Again, um, you know, I, I use the word dumb this week as a way just to have a little bit of fun, but there's double senses in which each of the stories that I'm talking about in the dumb news segment are dumb. First, it's New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who on a radio show this week said that he agrees with the Yahoo CEO, Marissa Mayer, who, and and what uh, this is Mayor Bloomberg's version of it. Marissa Mayer said this week that she will no longer allow her employees to work from home. Bloomberg says that telecommuting, which is the you know working from home, is dumb. That's his word. It's it's dumb. Now, whenever Bloomberg says something is dumb, you you start getting nervous, right? Yeah. Because you think, okay, well, if he thinks something is dumb, his next step is to try to figure out a way to either regulate it or ban it. And in fact, when I put this story out on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook this week, I said, I mean, and luckily I was able to fit in just kidding very quickly, but I said, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg bans telecommuting because he thinks it is not productive and therefore doesn't lead to enough tax revenue. I said something along those lines. And And that would be the rationale. He'd say, oh, well, they're not productive, so they're not producing enough wealth and therefore enough tax revenue for him to skim off. Did he say we have infinite money? He has said we had infinite, infinite money as yeah, well. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he would love to charge infinite tax rates right. so that he can micromanage our lives even more. But anyway, the, the story that I have is from NBC News New York, and you can actually watch and listen to a little clip of Bloomberg saying this. It's not I, I took one for the team. I watched it. It's no big deal. But the story itself, the written part, says that Bloomberg, who is a billionaire former CEO – now, that's an appeal to authority right there, right? Yeah. If he's a billionaire former CEO, then you're supposed to listen to what he says, right? Yeah. He said on his weekly radio show that he agrees with Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer that working from home is not productive. Quote from Bloomberg. He says, I've always said telecommuting is one of the dumber ideas I've ever heard. And this is what he says. Yes, there are some things you can do at home, he went on. But having a chat line is not the same thing as standing at the water cooler. And standing at the water cooler is where you get a lot of ideas and information, and it's a euphemism for a lot of interpersonal dialogue, end quote. Then it says, Mayor, you know, the CEO of Yahoo, recently announced that employees at Yahoo will no longer be able to work from home, citing the need for more communication and collaboration within the company's office. Um, now, the interesting thing is is that the story here at NBC News New York, it was posted on Friday, March 1st, the story goes on to show that Bloomberg himself is not just dumb in calling telecommuting dumb, but he's a hypocrite. Let, I'm going to continue on with the story. He says, as a billionaire with multiple homes outside New York City, he has defended his right to work remotely without disclosing his whereabouts. He says that he can work and stay in touch through his various devices. After he was criticized for not being in town when a major blizzard paralyzed the city on Christmas weekend in 2010, he said, quote, to the best of my recollection, in nine years, there hasn't been a time when you couldn't communicate, get me on the phone, whether I'm traveling uptown or downtown, end quote. So he's a hypocrite. I mean, does, does this surprise you at all, Bosch? No, he's insufferable. Yeah, he's he's very very hard to take. Now, what do we got here in the in the chat room? P 
people talking about telecommuting. People are talking about spilling sodas on their PC and stuff. Please do not abuse your computers. Why? Because the computer is the way you listen to me. <laughs> you must stay here and keep Good listening reason. to me. Don't destroy your computer. Oh, people said they're eating. So they're, I don't know. Is it, you know, it is dinner time it a is. couple a couple time zones away from here. So that's what they're doing. They're eating. And therefore, I mean, this is the thing, right? If you are eating at your computer at home while you're telecommuting, maybe you're just not that productive. Um, but, you know, he says it's dumb. Bloomberg says something is dumb. And like I said, the, you know, the next step is for him to ban it or regulate it. So that's the thing you always worry about. But is it dumb? Is it dumb to allow telecommuting? I would say Tim Ferriss, who's the author of The 4-Hour Workweek, would definitely disagree. Although it's interesting. I, I was listening to The 4-Hour Workweek while I was driving around recently. And as far as I can tell with Ferris, Ferris truly believes in his own mind that telecommuting is just as efficient, if not more efficient, than you being in the office from 9 to 5. I think he truly believes that. But he calls that into question a little bit in his book because what he says that you should do when you are trying to negotiate a so-called remote work arrangement with your boss, what you should do is say, okay, well, let's just do it as a trial, see how productive I am and see if it works, and that you should really gear up your productivity on purpose during the times that you're working remotely versus the times that you are in your office, that you should make an extra effort to so-called give you know give them a reason to do it right. which which i find disingenuous i mean yeah. it, it's either more productive and better or not right. clearly it's more uh you know it, it's it's better in terms of morale of the employees right it, it's clearly better in terms of that you're happier if you don't have to just do the uh you know what what's the what's the movie um uh, with the deja vu, the tremendous, it's uh, Groundhog Day, over and over and over. You just feel like you're living the same day over and over and over right. when you you know, do the same commute, go into the same office, see the same people. And if you can restructure and, and you know, control the structure of your, of your work days, it might create a little bit more subconscious creativity. You know, he says that you get all these great ideas at the water cooler. He's assuming that you always get your ideas from other people, right. but I, well, I think he might. May, yeah, maybe he gets his ideas from other people. Maybe. Well, well, he does say in terms of information. Remember, he basically gets secondhand information, news stories. From oh, you're talking else. about Ferris. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, Bloomberg. I'm, okay. I went. I went back to Bloomberg. I'm sorry. My, my fault. Um, yeah, Bloomberg is talking about the water cooler and and how you get all these ideas at the water cooler. Well, he's not a thinker either, so you're right. He probably does get it. From yeah. The, from the staff. Well. But I but I think you know suppose you're working from home, you work for a stretch. Then go walk the dog. And if you walk the dog, you might get an idea about a problem that you were working on just before you went out on that walk and stuff. Uh, Stephanie in the chat room points out that other people can be distracting at work. And this is a point that has been made in the book. And I can't remember the name of the author right now. I feel terrible. But the book is called Quiet. And I discussed that book. Uh, I think Bosch might Google it for me and, and let me know who who wrote it. But the book is called Quiet, and I discussed it extensively during a course that I gave at the Objectivist Conference last summer on privacy and the value of privacy in particular was what I was focused on in this one segment of the uh, the course. Susan Cain, C-A-I-N, is the author. The book is called Quiet. And in the book, she talks about the fact that 
you know, all this groupthink is what's being pushed on people right now and that, in fact, people are more productive when they are allowed as much alone time as they want. So that the ideal environment is if they have, if you, you know, assuming it's an office environment, the ideal environment is you've got a lot of privacy and then you can come out and chat with your coworkers when you want. So they described, for instance, Steve Wozniak. And Wozniak was working at Hewlett Packard, and the thing that was good for him was that a couple times a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, they brought a donut and coffee cart out, and it basically invited people to come out and grab the unhealthy donut uh, and the coffee and stuff, but, uh, you know, to go ahead and, and chat if you want. But nobody's forced. You have plenty of quiet ability to shut an office door. Not this idea that everybody's in a cubicle with a so-called open plan office, etc. Do you um, think Bloomberg has the donut cart in his offices? Bloomberg. Uh, does Bloomberg have yeah. a donut cart in his offices? I mean, first of all, does Bloomberg even spend time in the office? I mean, that is so hypocritical of him. Sure. Maybe, maybe the idea is that politicians aren't supposed to be productive. I mean, that's really what we're going to do. Is Take, and, and obviously well, we, politicians we want, are not productive. No, they're not. They're, which is why they're politicians, which is why they have to keep doing things. Because they, they don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to justify their existence all the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, not only is he a hypocrite, I, I think he's just dumb. But, but, you know, that book, Susan Cain, Quiet, establishes in a variety of contexts how much working alone yeah. benefits versus going and trying to work in a group situation. So if I think anybody's dumb, it, it's Bloomberg. The other person who would disagree, I think, is the author Tony Schwartz. Uh, Tony Schwartz has a book that was called The Way We're Working Isn't Working. The book has been retitled recently. I actually was uh, tricked into thinking it was a new book, an another book by him, but uh, that he retitled the book The Way That We're Working Isn't Working. I forget what the new title is. But he talks about the idea that you need to have stretches of intense work activity and then rest time where you go and recharge away from it. And, you know, in, in, in fact, basically, if you were in your office from 9 to 5 all day long, you had to have all this face time, it would not be productive at all. I, I really kind of wish I could get Tony Schwartz as an interview for this show. I haven't tried yet. It, it's not that I've tried and failed. I have David Allen, as many of you know. David Allen wrote Getting Things Done. I'm going to be interviewing him in the beginning of April. Maybe I'll be able to get Tony Schwartz, too, to talk about some of these issues. But I think he would also think that Bloomberg is is dumb. Um, I have a cartoon about uh, Bloom Turd, as Mark Levin calls him. It's called uh, Freedom Fighter, uh, the Freedom Fighter, and basically it's uh, you know it, the it's a, a take on the Time magazine cover where he was on a cover with uh, Joe Joe Biden and uh, Gabby Giffords, gun control, and they called them the gun fighters. They had the gall to call these these people the gun fighters, and uh, I call him Freedom Fighter because you know he basically he fought cigarettes, he fought salt, he fought soda. He fought Islamophobia. He's fighting guns. He will always fight your freedom. It's a flip on the idea of freedom fighter. Yeah, I mean, whether he's actually going to do anything about telecommuting, I don't see how he could do anything. That would be crazy. And well, he does have power. Once he starts talking about it and calling it dumb, that's when he acts. I mean, it, that, that would be really, really kind of stupid. And, I mean, if you think about it, there's been comments also on uh, my pages on Facebook about the fact that the commuting sucks up all sorts of fossil fuels because everybody's got to right. drive and sit there in the horrible traffic. Right. Right. You know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, waste 
that, that goes into that. Plus the fact if you do stay at home a little bit, imagine you save a little bit on your food budget and everything else you can spend on other things. There's just there's so many good things about it. I found an article, ironically, for our Mayor Bloomberg in the New York Times. So yes, Mayor Bloomberg, your own city's newspaper disagrees with you. March 2nd, 2013, headline is, Why Five Days in the Office is Too Many. And the author is uh, Prerna Gupta, I think is the way to, to pronounce it. And the author goes on and talks about, well, for most of my professional life, I've worked at home. Um, he or she is a software employee, a, you know, a, a software designer. And uh, the, the article says, quote, the idea that all employees should sit in the same place for eight hours a day, five days a week, seemed maddeningly inefficient to me. I knew that I was at peak productivity at certain times throughout the day with regular lulls in between. The flexibility to determine when and where I worked made me a better worker. Then the author goes on to say that when uh, he or she heard about Marissa Meyer's Yahoo's announcement that you know they were banning employees from working at home, first thought was, I'm glad I didn't work at Yahoo, but understood that the Yahoo uh, CEO felt compelled to do this. Why? Because there's supposedly a lot of bloat at Yahoo and they need to cut down some of this bloat. I mean, who knows? Some people might not be productive at home. But um, the author goes on to say here, the idea that everyone must be in the office five days a week harks back to a time when workers didn't have the proper tools to work from home. But we live in a very different world today. Given that technology has made employees accessible around the clock, and that they are often expected to work after hours, the traditional 40-hour schedule is in many ways an anachronism. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the author goes on and says, it's also the case that some of the creative insights come only when you give the human brain unstructured time to think, and that also, what's the main benefit of the office? The office is, the main benefit is to connect with fellow employees when you want to, only on the terms that you want to. And so what uh, this author, Prina Gupta, suggests is the policy that he or she has at his company. I'm going to call it his. I'm sorry from now. I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody by calling a her a him, but I don't know the sex of this author. Um, basically, the, the uh, policy that they had there is to have three days a week, five hours a day in the office, and it started at about noon. So that's a pretty flexible policy. Three days a week, five hours a day. And then when the company was acquired by another company, that company had had a four-hour, I mean, excuse me, four-day-a-week, five-hours policy. Okay. And they went ahead and talked the acquiring company into ratcheting down the number of hours. Nice. So what Gupta says is that this is the closest to a middle ground that satisfies the needs of both employers and employees, and that's what he or she recommends. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that's a pretty good thing. One of the, the factors that Gupta cites is that if you have parents, the parents often need to take a break in the middle of the day in order to go pick up the kids and then they can, you know, pick up the kids from school and then they can return to work afterwards. And Gupta said that insofar as he's ever allowed anybody to have this uh, schedule, no problem with getting the work in on time because these parents, after they put the, you know, the kids to sleep at night, go ahead and go back to work for a while, 
crank it all out. So uh, it seems to work. I think the thing that I would say is what's better than having this middle ground policy where they require even a certain schedule three three days a week, five hours a day, is to tailor it to the individual. Now, you might say there's a certain number, you know, a certain value of face time for every employee, but you'd say, well, with each particular type of employee, their personality style, their strengths and weaknesses, the people that they could profitably collaborate with, what is the benefit to them? And then what policy with respect to each individual employee would best bring about that And you'll that know benefit. if they're getting the work done by the productivity, by their whatever, whatever company it is. Yeah. But also one thing, I think a lot of these nine to five, they're there for in general for people who are not crazy about their jobs, not passionate about their jobs. So that's why they, you know, they that's why they stick that, that type of hour. If you're passionate, you can work for, you know, at night, right. midnight, past right. minute. It doesn't matter. You're working a few hours in a day. But yeah. therefore, I think companies are just want want their workers to just get the job done and that's in limited time. Now, here in the chat room, Stephanie says, for a company, it could save money on utility costs, et cetera. That's true, Stephanie, insofar as everybody decides not to come in at certain hours. So, for example, they wouldn't have to air condition at certain hours or heat at certain hours, et cetera. One thing that did happen, and and this was discussed, I believe, in the Steve Jobs bio, which I wrote a review of a long time ago. But, um, Last year. Yeah, I, it, yeah, it was it was a while ago. In any yeah, event, uh, yeah, Jobs used to work after hours, and apparently they wanted him to work after hours because he had a horrible <laughs> body odor because of the weird reason. diet that he was on. So, but, well, but I mean, that, that's about a, that late night work. You, there truly can be no interruptions. Right, there right. There cannot be any. Exactly, and I think Wozniak preferred to yeah. work after hours because of the interruption issue. Right. But people preferred to have, I think, jobs work after hours because because he stunk <laughs> so badly. <laughs> um, now let's see here. Oh, what are they doing in the chat room? They're talking about PDAs. Oh, so there could be PDAs in the office. I guess that could offend people while they're at work. Uh, there's all kinds of office no, politics here. It said chat room stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Computers, office lights, and individual offices, Stephanie, yes, yes, of course, so you could save utilities in that uh, regard. And you could say to the employees who choose to work from home, yes, you can work from home, but sorry, we're not going to pay your Internet cable right. you know, bill. We're not going to pay your phone bill, et cetera. This is an option that if you choose to take advantage of it, you're going to have exactly. to pay for the cost of the telecommuting, and blah, 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 blah. And you got to deliver you got to deliver yeah. because there's no check. Now, you know, and this is one thing that Gupta, again, going back to this New York Times, oh, it is a she. I'm so sorry. I should have said she the whole time. Okay. Um, I know, but look, okay. I, I finally look at the byline at the bottom and, and get it. But Perena Gupta says that the employees should be given the respect and the responsibility to manage their own schedules and complete their own work on their own time from wherever they choose. She herself went ahead and did that middle ground policy, but probably on the idea that she thought all employees should get, you know, some benefit from bouncing ideas right. off of their coworkers. Yeah, no doubt about it. And if, if that's what you actually had them do when they came in during that five hours per day, three days a week, that would be a good thing as well. But as I said, the individualized schedule would be the very best. Uh, you know, everybody should have as the touchstone productivity. 
You want to be as productive as possible with the hours that you allot to work. And commute times in some places are horrendous too. Imagine how many hours you lose to commuting. And it's true. You can listen to books on tape and do some things that aren't a complete waste of time. But in terms of actually doing the work that is going to pay off the most benefit, you know, the so-called 80-20 rule, that you want to do those things that provide 80% of the value to your productivity. And your commute time, even if you're listening to a book that has some small chance of giving you some crazy idea that might be good, it's probably not the best use of your most productive hours. And again, you know, who knows what hours are going to be the most productive for different people. Some people are morning people, some people are night people. So there's all of that as well. Um, Some people people need sleep, some don't. So the New York Times... The paper of record, the paper of New York, disagrees with its own mayor, Bloomberg. Stephanie in the chat room says, bottom line, it's an individual, excuse me, it's an issue for individual companies to decide for themselves whether it works and in what manner. And for Bloomberg to even devote a nanosecond to the issue is wrong. Well, he'll devote more of the idiot. You know, he's, he must be bored out of his mind. But also one thing, when he says we have an infinite money in America, when he says that, I mean, think about what he's saying. Also, with the Times Square bomber, remember the guy who wanted to blow up Times Square? He said that he bought, maybe the guy wasn't happy with the health care law. He tried to dismiss it, meaning salt is important, uh, soda is important, but terrorism and, and the economy, well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of working at home, some people find it distracting because you've got the computer and I mean, you've got my podcast to listen to. Right. You've got Facebook. Right. You've got my podcast to listen to. Right. You've got Twitter. You've got my podcast. podcast. So, yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of things you could be doing, and maybe as long as you get the job done. Well, well that, that's the whole point. Yeah, as long as you get the job you know, done. Deliver. But, do what you're supposed to do. True, true. But you might spend more hours at home getting your job done because then you feel guilty because you've wasted time. There are techniques that you can use to go ahead and save yourself from all those distractions. There's pieces of software out out there on the Internet that control the amount of time that you spend on certain websites and such like that. So, you know, you can you can do it. If you go to the uh, that book, The 4-Hour Workweek, Ferris talks about a lot of it, and he might even mention some of those tools on his blog. Zach in the chat room says, yes, Amy is only a distraction. That's it's, it. It's my only distraction. Oh, it's his only distraction. Oh, no. Listen to show. So, so he doesn't spend any time on Twitter or Facebook. I think that's false. Yeah, well, he tweets about the show. He tweets on <laughs> other things. I've seen him tweet on other things, too. Zach, don't, don't. Kid with me. I know that you're on Twitter doing all sorts of things. I've seen you cheat on me with Twitter, Zach. So, <laughs> um, okay, let's go ahead. If I've got no calls telling me about their uh, telecommuting, anybody in the chat room actually telecommute, work from home? Let's see here. I don't have anybody in the chat room telling me that they actually telecommute. No, I don't mean no one has said it at least. No, no. I would love to hear from somebody who telecommutes or supervises people who telecommute. Now, Ollie in the chat room says that he's self-employed, which is good. Oh, Tim says he works from home. So, Tim, do you think if you had an office outside of home, that's really the question, if you had an office outside of home that you went to structured 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, that you would get more done? That's what I want to know. 
we'll see if, if Tim answers. Uh, one thing I want to lead into in terms of the next dumb news story is about our recently appointed Secretary of State, John Kerry. Who's a traitor? I mean, he's a traitor. And the Republicans allowed him to get through. Well, I would say being, being a traitor is definitely yeah, dumb. Yeah, I would imagine that that should have stopped him. But the Republicans, you know, say, ah, whatever. Now, Kisco Kid in the chat room says he used to telecommute. So if you have any experience about how efficient and productive, I just want you to be honest. Were you productive telecommuting? Uh, Chris in the chat room says, I've worked remotely for a company for years and managed a team in India for a year. It is great for a startup company that wants to hire a part-time work. Of course, there you have no choice, right, because you're a startup. Maybe you can't even afford office space to do this. Uh, Tim in the chat room says he gets less done in a co-location work environment. I can focus and work longer at home. Okay, so he's saying that it depends on what sort of facilities are provided to him at work, and that's really what Susan yeah. Cain said in the in the quiet right. book, that it depended on whether you gave the employees their own dedicated office space where they could shut the door and be away from everybody else. Good, good, definitely to hear. So do we want to go back to the trader, John Kerry, who is also dumb? Yeah, I mean, he's pathetic. Uh, again, with dumb, I'm calling this part of my dumb news segment. I'm equivocating a little bit because Carrie, first of all, has been quoted in the past as saying that Americans Reason. have the right to be stupid. Is that right, boss? That Americans was, have the right to be stupid? That was his defense of free speech. Nothing profound, nothing great, except that yeah, Americans can be stupid. And uh, he lived up to that big time this this week. Yeah, so what did he do that was stupid this week? Let me tell you about it. I'm looking at an article from Jihad Watch, you know, Robert Spencer's awesome site that tells you all sorts of things about what's going on uh, in the world of Islam and all the things that Islam is doing to destroy Western values. The headline from a post of February 28th is Secretary of State Kerry Learning about Islam from a book by Reza Aslan, a board member of a front group for Iranian mullahs. Can I just uh, mm-hmm. interrupt one second? Mm-hmm. I made a cartoon of uh, Reza Aslan because he uh, really insulted um, uh, Robert in a, in a way where I, I think Robert turned it or I turned it into a poem and put it on his tie. So so check it out. Reza, Reza Aslan, Faustin, you might find it online. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Take a look at it. Uh, in in terms of the piece here in Kerry, it says Secretary of State John Kerry is reading up, learning that Islam is quote not represented by a lot of jihadists and others end quote, but is rather quote a beautiful religion. A what? End quote. A what? A beautiful religion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here's a quote from John Kerry. He says, and unfortunately, in too many parts of the world, some religions, and I'm not just speaking of one religion or another, you have intolerance in a number of different kinds of religions or points of view in different things. I know that Islam is not represented by a lot of jihadists and others. I know it's a beautiful religion. I've read more and more about it. I've been reading a book recently called No God But God which is the history of the prophet and where he came from and how it developed as a religion. It's fascinating. If I went back to college today, I'd probably go back and be a comparative religion major and a comparative literature major because those are the things that help you understand what makes people tick and how they're working and how they think. 
But the more important thing is to have the tolerance to say you can have a different point of view. End quote from John Kerry. Well, you're you're falling asleep, but you know he he talks about you're supposed to have tolerance of people having different points of view. But what if that different point of view mm-hmm. is a completely <laughs> intolerant point of view? Yes. I mean, you know, again, I'm I'm stealing from Gutfeld because Gutfeld says this all the time. You know, <laughs> is that we're supposed to tolerate Islam, and Islam does not tolerate us at all. And in fact, uh, you had this excellent quotation in your Twitter, right? Yeah. Well, uh, about uh, Carrie and this I whole thing. I said that basically. Um I'm sorry. Uh, he said basically that uh, John, John Kerry is saying uh, insane Islam is quote unquote beautiful. John Kerry is saying misogyny, anti-Semitism, homophobia, wife beatings, beheadings, pedophilia, and murders are beautiful. Has has he ever said the, the words America the beautiful? Ever? You know, he calls us stupid for free speech, and he calls Islam beautiful. Have right? You ever, have you ever heard him uh, refer to America as quote unquote beautiful? No, I have not. No, I have not. Uh, Robert Spencer is really fun to yeah. read if you go to yeah. Jihad Watch. He's got a great he's got a great sense of humor. He seems to have a very good sense of life, which I find amazing yeah. because he immerses himself in the worst bad news all yeah. the and he time. Gets death threats every day. Oh yeah, death yeah. threats all the time and everything. So you know, there, I just read you that extended quote from John Kerry about Kerry is reading uh, that book by Reza Aslan, and then Spencer comes in and he says. What could possibly go wrong? And then he says this. The book, No God But God, the one that Carrie is reading, Spencer writes, is a whitewash of Islam written by none other than the childish Islamic supremacist pseudo-academic Reza Aslan. He says, Aslan is a board member of the National Iranian American Council. And in 2008, the chief of that council sued uh, someone else who I can't pronounce for defamation after their investigative reporting exposed the chiefs and NIAC's deep and incontrovertible ties to high-level agents of the Iranian regime. So, in other words, he says, Spencer, and he says, is it really wise for John Kerry to be learning about Islam from a board member of an Islamic Republic front group? And my answer is, no, it's dumb. This is why it's in the dumb news segment. It's dumb. It's not wise for him to do this. And, you know, you should go check out this article from Spencer. Again, it's on Jihad Watch, February 28th. Headline is, Secretary of State Kerry Learning About Islam from Book by Reza Aslan. There are tons of citations. Spencer is meticulous about providing yeah. citations for what he says. He also um, has a version of this article at Front Page Magazine, which uh, accompanied by a cartoon of mine. Oh, of, this article is also on Front Page Harry. Magazine? Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing uh, that he says here is that Kerry is learning about Islam from an enemy of the freedom of speech and an endorser of the heckler's veto. Now, who is that? It's, again, Reza Aslan. Reza Aslan called for the vandalism of ads that were put up in New York City out on the subways and everything, um, what they wanted to do is have those ads spray-painted and such. And they called the spray-painting of these ads freedom of speech, but that's not freedom of speech. It is forcible denial of other people's freedom of speech, as Spencer writes. Uh, Aslan has also praised the jihad group Hezbollah as, quote, the most dynamic political and social organization in Lebanon, end quote, um, also praising the Muslim Brotherhood. 
So Spencer writes, is it really wise for John Kerry to be learning about Islam from a man who has praised the ascendancy of the brutal Muslim Brotherhood regime in Egypt? End quote. And I say, no, it's not. Uh, and that is, it is not wise. In fact, it's dumb. And this is why we put it under the category of dumb news. In terms of good news in Egypt this week and in, in the Muslim Brotherhood, you may have seen Greta Van Susteren put it on her Fox News show this week. And you can find it on Greta's blog at foxnews.com. There's a clip of protesters in Egypt doing some dance called the Harlem Shuffle or something out in front of the main headquarters of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt as a protest, which I think is just awesome. It's nice to see people in Egypt standing up to the Muslim Brotherhood because certainly our country's not doing anything to help them. In fact, we have armed them recently, and Obama has said, oh, you know, we can't control what Egypt does. Oh, well, you can control whether you send arms over there, but I guess you don't choose to, Mr. Obama. I do have a call. I'm not sure if I have a call on one of these dumb news topics. I'm going to see if we do. Let me see if I can get it live. Hi, who's this? Did you want to talk about either of my dumb news stories, or did I get on to somebody who just wanted to listen by phone? I may have done that, so let me go ahead and mute them again. If you do want to ask a question when you call in, I think there's a little button that you click that also puts a little question up for me. Oh, well, no, we do have a comment there. Okay, let's go ahead and do it. Excellent. Hi, who's this? Amy Pujanga. Oh, who, who is this? Hi, this is Pujanga. Oh, Pooja, I can't hear you super well. Are you able to adjust your mic or anything? Uh, I'm just going to get off the speaker. Hold on. Okay. Mm, I can't hear you very well at all. Maybe try again from a different line or a different connection. Speak one more time and let me see if I can hear you. Uh, I'm I'm not hearing you. I'm sorry, Pooja. I'm going to have to go ahead and mute you again here. Uh, sorry, maybe, tr- I don't know if you can try to call in a different way. I would love to talk to you. In fact, Pooja, one of the good news stories that I have to discuss this week is from you. And I was going to give you a shout out for that. The other thing you could do is you could tell me what you wanted to say in the chat room and I can talk about that. One thing, uh, Kisco Kid in the chat room had said that telecommuting wasn't so great for him. Um, he had said that he was working on the West Coast and that everybody else was on the east coast he thought he was productive but he lost touch with everyone there and there are ways to get around that of course which is to maybe have regular skype meetings and such like that where you touch it you know at least touch base with people but again there are different personalities some people like to have that face-to-face contact with their coworkers in order to brainstorm and stuff other people don't need it so really you know it's, it's a whole different world Now, let's see here if anybody's got something to say about our beautiful Secretary of State. Exactly, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Juju Fruit in the chat room agrees that Carrie is getting disinformation out of this book by Aslan. Well, it's it's by a Muslim. I mean, first of all, and then it's a guy who supports the Muslim Brotherhood, who who works for some group that has uh, ties with the Iranian government. 
Right, right. Yeah. And and all of that is documented yeah. on in the article. And you said the article is also available on Front Page Magazine? Yeah. It might be a version of it or a different one. Uh, I've got the, the title. I can find the title in one second. Yeah, Bosch will find the Front Page Magazine and version. The cool thing about the Front Page Magazine version is that it features Bosch's drawing of John Kerry yeah. as well, which I think is, is a kick. And, Bosch, uh, Bosch has been doing, by the way, a lot of cool work for Front Page Magazine. If you check out, they have a cartoon corner where his works are regularly featured there. Yeah. It's uh, on the front page magazine. It's called John Kerry Learns from the Enemy. Now let's see here if Pooja is going to tell us anything in the chat room about her experience telecommuting. Yeah, I, t- I tried to oh, okay. tried to pick it up, and we weren't getting any good okay. sound, unfortunately. So that's, that's kind of a bummer, because uh, I would definitely like to hear more about that. But yeah, I mean, he says the American people have the right to be stupid, and he's taking that to the nth degree <laughs> and saying he's included among that, and I guess he has the right to be dumb because he's doing a very dumb thing. If you would like to hear a nice one-hour chunk of, uh, you know, kind of Islam 101, I, you know, I did a an uh, Quran reading group through my blog, and this was probably... Almost two almost years two ago, years, I think in right. almost two years ago, I, I started right. this Islam reading group. So we actually read through the Quran, and we read through Spencer's commentary. And then at the very end, towards I think our second to last meeting, yeah. I had a one-hour Q&A with Robert Spencer, where I asked him various questions based that yeah that, that had occurred to me based on the reading of the Quran, and that also students in the class, not really students, but members of the of the reading group had asked they weren't my students because we were all reading together so i thought it was really informative and if you go to the archives on blog talk radio there is uh you know that that you know that uh, episode is there but you can also find it on my blog at dontletitgo.com if you go to dontletitgo.com and you search for robert spencer you'll find the archive recording of that as well and you could learn a lot from it now we've got a new call let me go ahead and take it different number. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Pooja. Can you hear ah, me? Yes, I can hear you great now. Okay, I have a cold too, so excuse my voice here. That, no, no worries. I can hear you just fine. So you were going to talk about telecommuting, is that right? Yes, I wanted to talk about telecommunicating. Actually, I do that at my work, and I really enjoy it. Uh, my company um, doesn't encourage telecommunicating, but it gives that as an option. So we have a laptop and we have a VPN connection. And what they like is that um, we don't schedule telecommunicating, telecommunication, you know, in our calendars. But you know, it, it, in a day, if you get up in the morning and if you decide that that you will be more productive working at home for some reason, uh, like there's a snow emergency and you want to avoid traveling. Or even if there's some personal thing that you want to stay at home for, uh, then you're allowed to send out a mass email and you know informing your colleagues that you're going to be working from home, and then you do that. Um, is, so, is there um, is there a maximum number of days per week you can do it, et cetera? I think if you do it like two times in a week, nobody asks you any question. But if you start doing it more than two times in a week, then they might ask you. And so they 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 leave it up to the individual employee to decide whether he or she will be more productive in that environment, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Now, did you find that you were more productive that way? 
Oh, yes, uh, definitely. Uh, first, uh, there are a couple of reasons why I do that. First is I avoid shoulder tapping, as we call it in our office, you know, where if you're working in your cube uh, at work, you know, people are constantly coming at you and asking you to do um, uh, answer questions or do some tasks for them, which, which you're not really scheduled to do. Right. So that's distracting. So you avoid that, basically. Um, and the other reason is uh, because we, we, I think in the last couple of months, we moved from uh, having cubicles to more like a pod-like floor area. Uh, so it, it's kind of very distracting because now you're not, uh, you know, in your cube and um, uh, you're in a, kind of an open area where people are walking behind your back and, you know, talking across uh, their um, desks and stuff like that. So it is very distracting. Yeah, so not even an isolated cubicle, yeah. So I, I think it would depend on two things, the employee and the work environment that they have set up in the office. And clearly, Susan Cain said in the Quiet Book that in either the open plan environment, like what you're describing, or even an environment where it's just cubicles and it's partly open, that those people are disadvantaged. I mean, to the extent that you can go in an office and shut a door and shut out the world, and especially in an office environment where you could put a little sign on the door and say, do not disturb for a certain number of hours a day or whatever it is, that you just you need those blocks where you are undisturbed by any distractions, whether within your own mind that you you know you can't do or, or out there. And certainly if you are able to work from home, then the only person that you're fighting is is you. Right? Right. And I have a personal thing too in the sense that uh I'm not a morning person. I like to sleep in and then um, get up and, you know, get my stuff done. It might be personal. It might be other projects. And then when I have to, and I'm actually a software developer, mm -hmm. and uh, I find that um, when I start to code, I'm always better at it after 12 o'clock, afternoon, <laughs> for some reason, after I had my lunch and everything. And then when I start to code, I can code for six hours, seven hours straight. Uh, but, I, but I'm better at coding in the afternoon when I'm warmed up enough during the day. Well, I mean, so it sounds like it's excellent for you, for sure. So you would say that Bloomberg is definitely dumb to call telecommuting <laughs> dumb. Yes? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we're worse than dumb. And I, it, it's just hysterical that he's a hypocrite about it, too, that he himself is, is in effect, telecommuting all the time. But like I said, politicians, they're not really productive anyway. So do right. you know what... Just one more point there. Uh, sure. My kind of work is very good for telecommunicating because uh, I'm a software developer. So what we do is we, we volunteer for project tasks you know, coding uh, development tasks, and then we are asked for an estimate. So we give a, give our hours, you know, okay, this is going to take us 30 hours or 26 hours, and then you just make sure that you deliver it in that number of hours that you have committed. Okay, no, that I mean, and that's perfect. You just tell them how many hours you worked, and w when you do it, I think, doesn't really matter from the standpoint of the company. And, in fact, if everybody is productive in different hours of the day, it's much better for the company not to have to pay for power and heat and air conditioning and stuff at all these odd hours that everybody finds themselves productive. The only downside that I see of all this telecommuting is stuff that I learned about when I went to the privacy conference 
at Southwestern. There was one whole segment on the problems of people working from home and having files belonging to the company on their personal computers, right? Because sometimes if they have the files on their personal computers and they take it home, those files could be compromised. They might even take trade secrets home and steal them. So there are certain situations where you should be working only on computers. Now, obviously, there's technological ways to get around the problems. You can have certain controls installed on the laptops and things like that. But that's, I think, the main challenge, right? Right. Well, uh, before before our company gave uh, gave us laptops, we used to have desktops at work, and if uh, and to give us the telecommunication option, what they did was they gave us like a very um, um, old desktop to take home, and then all that uh, desktop did was uh, had a, a VPN connection or a remote desktop connection to the uh, desktop at work. So, right. uh, so you know, there was no danger of files being at uh, your computer at home. You could use no. a computer-given old desktop, which which was a throwaway, basically, and you could connect to your uh, desktop at work and work through there. Right, and then there's other things like the Go to My PC or things like that. Really, if if I uh, if I name these companies like Go to My PC on my show, they should be sponsors of me, and then I should get money from them. But there are technologies that all you do basically is connect to your computer at work, and you're actually working on your computer at work, or you're connected to the network at work, and that's all you're allowed to do. You're not allowed to download anything at all, and then that takes away all of those problems. So right. thank, th- thanks, Pooja. Um, you know, I want to switch here, and I'll just keep you on if you want for this, because the story that you posted that I want to talk about was the one that was on foxnews.com by Steven Crowder, and the right. headline, yeah, he says, he says, I'm a guy, and I'll never badmouth my wife. Yes, I love that, uh, well, a couple of things that he said in that article. Well, what what did you love most about the article? For, let me just give people, it was published on March 2nd, 2013. You can find it at foxnews.com. The author is Stephen Crowder. And again, the headline is, I'm a guy and I'll never badmouth my wife. What did you like about it? Well, I come from India and uh, there, is this, uh, there is this cultural thing in India where men, you know, get together and, uh, you know, uh, it's not in the gym, but, you know, it's just in family gatherings. Women are usually separate in the kitchen and men are usually in the living room uh, smoking cigarettes or drinking. And that's what they're doing, you know, uh, to um, complaining about their wives is one of the ways to have male bonding, basically. So this story was kind. It kind of affected me a lot because I see this. I saw this kind of attitude in my own family, within my own relatives. Um, and I, even at that young age, you know, when I was home, um, I, w- I used to actually be very impressed with some guys I used to meet at work who were actually um, talking good about their wives, you know, and and how their how they. Um, um, how their wives, you know, um, help them with their decisions and, uh, you know, how they can leave things to their wife. So I would actually like hearing stuff like that because of the background that I came from. No, and I, I thought it was really excellent. Zach in the chat room points out that Stephen Crowder is kind of lame. Now, Zach, I do agree that sometimes he has been lame, 
And in particular, in the past, there was an article on a Breitbart website, I forget which Breitbart site it was, where Crowder was slamming atheists. And he is <laughs> he is quite religious, but the thing that I really liked about this article is, yes, it's pro-marriage and it's pro-wife, but it's making that good point about marriage without bringing in religion at all. And in fact, it's so funny because he uses the word selfish in here incorrectly, right? He, there's this right. part he says, he says, imagine looking forward to discussing anything and everything with my wife because she actually helps me make better decisions that ultimately transform my life into more than the selfish pile of crap it was before her. Crazy, I know, end quote. So that's this, you know, little snippet of the article so he uses the word selfish incorrectly because it wasn't that he was if he was a pile of crap he wasn't properly selfish is it really in your self-interest to be a pile of crap no it's really not so you know clearly he doesn't understand but what he talks about all the way through is the selfish value that his wife provides to him. He doesn't talk about, you know, oh, religion tells us that we have to be altruistic and therefore we have to say nice things about our wife even if she's not. He says, look, you know, my wife makes my life better and I'm not uh, ashamed to say it and I'm not going to say it just to, quote, get along with the guys in the locker room, right? I mean, that's what he says in this article and I and I think it's it's really good. Um, and he calls on people. And he also makes a very good point. And let me quote uh, one line that I like from the article. Mm -hmm. um, so here it says, there may be some people out there who actually believe their wife to be merely an old ball, ball and chain. Mm -hmm. To you, I say, you are a loser. Not only are you a loser for dishonoring the woman who is now an extension of yourself, but you're a loser for picking someone who you hate having to come home to every night. What kind of an idiot are you to marry a person that you think is an absolute moron? Yes, and, and I also have that uh, that little passage highlighted. It, unfortunately, that one was not followed up like some of the other great ones with, um, like the other one earlier says, uh, the, you know, the, the one who says, my, my wife is such a pain in the ass, he said, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know how it is. And then he said back to him, no, really, I don't. And then he says, as I finished dressing myself and walked out, you could hear a pin drop. The gentleman had certainly never heard nor ever expected to hear a response like that from one of the guys as long as he lived. And then he says, I think that it's sad. And then he says, also, he needs to do some squats. <laughs> and I thought that was very funny. You know, these guys are wrong. They're totally misinformed, and they need to do some squats. So I found, you know, Crowder can definitely be funny. And here, like I said, he comes at it from a selfish standpoint. And that passage that you read illustrates that perfectly. The other thing that he did say that isn't quite great from an objectivist perspective is he says, imagine actually thinking that I married somebody better than myself. Right. Not so great to think that your spouse is better than you, but at least to think that they are someone who is great and who is worthy of you. I mean, I, I've never even heard in any of Ayn Rand's writings you saying, oh, well, this person is better or worse. Now, I think she would say that in terms of, uh, you know, if you had to say somebody was better, maybe Dagny would say, well, Galt is better than me in a certain aspect or whatever, that she looks up to Galt. But uh, she wouldn't say he's better than I am. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a bizarre way. And... I, I wouldn't do that. But he makes, like I said, this great point about marriage. He makes it as in, in a selfish way. 
it's not exactly what Rand would say. You know, Rand would say something like, and this is just paraphrasing, it's not an exact quote, show me what a man finds sexually attractive and I'll tell you his entire philosophy of life. So it's not as a zinger as that, but I thought it was really excellent. So thanks for posting that, Pooja. Right, and uh, Chowder is no objectivist, but the no. point is here is that when you disrespect your spouse, you know, you are disrespecting yourself, and, you know, that it's selfish in that way. That's right. So thanks, Pooja. i got to go. I want a, a few more good news stories. Believe it or not, I have a few of these things. One is the media reaction to what Mark Stein has called sequestageddon, Sequestageddon is an, a title of an article at National Review Online of March 1st. But instead of that, or actually in addition to that, something that I found even more remarkable is the Saturday Night Live opening this weekend. Hat tip to Mark Natickman on Facebook for posting it. It was good in its own right. It was funny. I think you should just go watch it now and turn off my podcast. Actually, please don't do that. But it is really excellent, so definitely go watch that. I have posted links to it on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. You can watch the opening of Saturday Night Live where they make fun of Obama basically saying all these horrible things are going to happen because of the sequester. That is what Mark Stein does in a very eloquent way on National Review Online. Of course, you expect it from Mark Stein. You don't expect it as much from Saturday Night Live. And I think it's good to see big cultural outlets, you know, people, the popular cultural outlets who tend to be more liberal actually deciding they're going to go ahead and criticize the president on this issue. One great way to think about the sequestration, instead of increasing spending to a dollar three, a dollar and three cents for every dollar that we spend this year, it's going to be a dollar and one cent. They're still increasing spending. They're not increasing it by as much. It is minuscule. Um, one line, just one line from Stein before I go on. He says, um, say what you like about those Mayan guys, but they only schedule an apocalypse once every 5,126 years. Only Washington would try to pull it off every six weeks, end quote. And, of course, that's what they're doing here. And then if he called out Maxine Waters, like so many people have, for saying that there's going to be over 170 million jobs lost because of the sequestration. And Stein points out, look, there are only 135 million jobs in America, but the sequester gods are so powerful that they can eliminate every job in Canada, Britain, and Germany, too, end quote. As I said, go check out Stein at National Review Online. Another story. This was given to me by Charles Douglas via the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. It is from The Independent, which is a U.K. publication, Sunday, the 17th of February. Headline, A Sensational Breakthrough, The First Bionic Hand That Can Feel. They can now put on you a bionic hand that can be attached to your nervous system and can allow you to feel and move. So you can actually feel pinpricks and such like that. Apparently, the current model that they're in the process of testing is better than the prior model, and they think that putting a bionic hand on like this and allowing it to be hooked up to the nervous system might uh, decrease the rate of rejection of artificial limbs like this. So I think that's very exciting. It should it should only be that free market medicine allow is allowed to prosper and that we can see more technology like this happen. One more story. Good news via the Dredge Report. Financial Times, March 1st, Paris seeks an alternative to the 75% tax. 
And what they say in the story there is that because of all the pressure and also because of the ruling that the 75% tax on people above 1 million euros a year, it's been ruled unconstitutional. They are backing off and they're deciding they're going to go for a uh, 65% tax on lower incomes. It's non-essential, mind you. Um, it's being met with some you know, pushback and everything, but it's nice that they feel like they have to back off from these extravagant rates. It's going to be so much better if they finally realize the principle, which is that you own your life. You own all the money that you make and that if they take it by involuntary taxation, they are violating your rights. We aren't seeing that yet, but we are seeing them backing off of these rates for pragmatic reasons, so it's semi-good news. Everybody, we are at the end of our hour. I cannot believe it. Thank you for tuning in. Please go to the don'tletitgo.com website and comment on this show, and if you like it, please spread the word. This is a word-of-mouth show, and my mouth is only so big. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.